It's great to be back with you. If you have your Bible, please open to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. And today um, we will focus particularly on verses 10 to 12. I'll read um, through verse 20. We'll, we'll handle the rest of this section next time. Um, but go ahead and please turn there. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 today, and a sermon entitled, The Truth is Out There. It's great to be back. You know, we've been traveling, um, and that has been a really good time. I hope you guys have been able to enjoy some of that this summer. <clears throat> and when you do, I hope you visit other churches. And we've been able to do that. Uh, Drake and I have been visiting. We have visited with some other churches. And I, and I was reminded of a few things as I did that. <laughs> I tried to picture in my mind that I'm a guest, you know, like moving to the area. And it's really weird if you do that, right? It, it, because uh, people aren't always so friendly. <laughs> um, and so I was just reminded of how important that is to be friendly to guests. Um, we went to one church. It, the church was a fine church, uh, but there were a lot of people there and nobody talked to us. <clears throat> I mean, we kind of stick out. Like, you got these two Nordic-looking guys I really like they're not from here. And uh, the pastor is the only one that talked to us. And that's a little bit, you know, weird, maybe. So be friendly. We, all, we have regular visitors. Um, and I'll have to confess to you, I mean, talking to people, new people, that's not my thing. I'm always like, please, God, let, let Richard see that person, you know. <laughs> and uh, I know if Richard talks to them, they'll probably join the church, like, the next week. So... Uh, step out of your comfort zone and maybe just talk to people, be friendly. It's an easy thing to do. Uh, I'm sure people will, even if you aren't that great at talking to new people, they'll appreciate it more than you ignoring that they're even there, right? Um, another thing, it's really neat to think about, um, you know, we love theology at this church, and we have very, very, I think, very biblical structure. And a lot of churches don't have that, um, and, you know, it's just good to remember that there are Christians all over the place. I was reminded of that. There are Christians all over the place, and as long as they are holding to, you know, the essential truths of the gospel, that we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone, and they are Trinitarian there are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And one day we're going to be with them forever. And we should remember that. We can get so stuck into like, oh, you know, we're kind of like the pure church. You know what I mean? Um, so visit other churches. You shouldn't go on vacation from church. Visit other churches when you go. And just be glad that you live somewhere where you can find a place to go worship with other Christians. So I hope you'll do that, and then you can remember what it's like to be new. Well, uh, the other elders have preached through uh, one cycle. I've been very appreciative of that, them doing that. I know they work hard, and it's extra, it's double hard for them because they have jo other jobs, and then they study, and then they preach. Um, and they don't, they don't get many opportunities, so I've very much appreciated that. I hope you have as well. We'll have one more uh, cycle of that. The other elders will preach again one more time. 
And then when we come to August, we'll jump back into our regular uh, book. We'll be back in John for like the sixth year in a row or something. I don't even know. Uh, we'll be back in John. So that's what we're doing. It's great to be back. So if you're there, Ephesians, please stand. As we read God's word, I'll read 10 through 20. Paul to the Ephesians, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil, or in the evil day, being able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and have as shoes for your, and, and as for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains." that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. When I was a young, young boy, every Friday evening would go something like this. Uh, we would head down to the local Blockbuster. You guys may not know what a Blockbuster is. Um, you can think of a blockbuster as like a library. Hopefully you know what a library is. But it's a library where they put movies. And back then they were VHS tapes. And they were, they're like things. They almost look like they're book-sized tapes. And so every, that's what we do every Friday. We'd go to the blockbuster and we'd find a movie to watch for that weekend. On the way home, we'd go into uh, pick up some Little Caesars hot and ready pizza. Right, And so then we'd go home. But we wouldn't watch the movie on Friday night because Friday night was a special night. That's the night that the X-Files came on. The X-Files, that was my go-to Friday night show, and I loved that show. It's an amazing show. Uh, X-Files is about two FBI agents, and they investigate paranormal activities, right? Uh, supernatural things, mysteries, unexplainable things. And there's kind of this thread that ties all of the seasons together, and that there, there are aliens out there. And there's one FBI agent, Agent Mulder, and he's a uh, believer. Is what they, they call a believer, not a believer like, you know, like we would say believer, but he believes in the supernatural. And he believes that aliens are out there. And then there's Scully, and she's a skeptic, and she's... Uh, a materialist. That's the term, right? She doesn't believe in anything that you cannot prove with the five senses. Scientific method. And these things aren't real. They're all explainable and all of this. And you know, behind this, there's the uh, secret dark shadow government that exists within the government. So they're, 
they're, they're finding that there's these UFOs, but there's this smoking man. You guys heard? The smoking man is trying to hide all of that evidence that there really are aliens, and they want to, like, invade the world. Those were Friday nights. And what I didn't realize is that the X-Files were apparently going to step into reality. <laughs> um, last year, in a little sneaky maneuver in the $2.3 trillion COVID relief bill, Senator Marco Rubio did what politicians do. You know how they do? Like This, this bill's like 5,500 pages. Nobody's going to read it. So I'm going to slip in a little sneaky thing in here, and I'm going to mandate that the Pentagon and the Defense Department brief us on everything that they have on UFOs. And then, after they brief, uh, you know, a classified brief, they're going to have to brief us, uh, brief the world. They're going to have to release what they know or what they can release. Right? Because what, it, what had leaked out um, in the past year were three videos that have since been unclassified of UFOs, or what they call UAPs. They call them UAPs now. Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And... It's been very interesting what's leaked, and they've talked to uh, several pilots who have been allowed to share their experiences. And so they encounter uh, things they cannot explain regularly, like pretty regularly. And one is asked, if you look up, you can look up the 60 Minutes interview on this. They asked one pilot, how often do you see these? And he said, every time, every time I flew. They're like, every day? He's like, saw them every day. They're like, what are they doing? I don't know, uh, watching, observing, I guess. I, I don't know. Now, what's amazing about this is that the government is acknowledging their existence. The public release was a little bit of a letdown because pretty much here's what they said. There's 144 recorded incidents. We could tell you that one of them was explainable. So you got all these other 143, no explanation. Now, what they are encountering is really quite incredible. So these things, I don't know what they are, can go 13,000 miles an hour, like in an instant, with no propulsion devices. No, 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 you can't observe any. Um, they've been captured on the pilot's own iPhone, so you can see it, and recorded on uh, the, the weapon systems of, like, fighter jets. They have that video they've released. They have other better stuff, apparently, but they can't release it to us because that might give away our secrets to the enemy on how we collect data. Um, 13,000 miles an hour, no sonic boom, can go a 90 degree angle in an instant, and can go that fast underwater. It, it, it's like they're moving through uh, matter, um, through space and time even. Uh, they, they can appear instantly and disappear instantly. It's like they phase in and out of reality disappear, appear somewhere else 40 miles away, and, and, I, and it's all captured. This isn't like make-believe. This is all captured on multiple military devices that record. have recorded these things, and then these pilots, and they all say, you know, if, if, you, if I didn't have, like, my back seat, I probably wouldn't have said anything because people, like, think you're crazy. But because of, you know, other people saw it, they came, they came forward. It's pretty huge for our government to be acknowledging their existence because what they're saying is this is not our technology. And while some would try to say maybe it's China, maybe it's Russia, 
That's not really a possibility because, for one, this started in 2004, and back then we were at least 20 years ahead of Russia and China militarily, and it's way beyond. These things are doing things that, I mean, they defy the laws of physics. The laws of physics are being broken. Now, you might say, like, why are you talking about UAPs or UFOs? In church, I mean, we're here. We're here on a Sunday morning, and we want to hear about Jesus. And what are you talking about UFOs for? What a weird thing! Does it even does it even matter? Does it even matter in my life? I don't know what they are. Unexplainable phenomenon. Well, I think it does matter. Here, here's why I think this is important that we talk about this. Because this information has been released, and and what's already, I'm sure there'll be more later. But what you can see has the potential to do something to believers. What can happen to believers is they can see this and then their faith can begin to get a little shaky, right? Maybe, maybe even cause them to doubt the Bible. Like, God didn't talk about this stuff in the Bible. I never heard about this stuff before. They're talking about technologies and things and maybe I can't trust God's word. And I don't, I don't want that to happen. I think that can happen. People grow up in church their entire life, and I think this is why it can happen. I think it can happen because we have become in the West conditioned to be like Scully. We are materialists. Not in the sense that I, I'm seeking after material things, right? Not in that sense. The sense of philosophical materialism in that, like Scully, you, you would say, other than God, right? Because we're all Christians. We go to church. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. So we believe in that sense that's supernatural. But, but, all, but everything else like this, we've been kind of conditioned to think that these things aren't real. Haven't we? Bombarded because of the Enlightenment and, and because of how we've grown up here in America and in the West, and we're intellectuals now, and we're advanced civilization, and these things, aren't, these things aren't real. These things don't just happen. So when we encounter something like that, even professing Christians, they try to process it that, in that materialist worldview. And what they do is they, they go, they connect the dots. Um, that's technology. It's got to be technology. Technology is made by intelligent beings. And this is far beyond anything we have. These intelligent beings are from elsewhere in our galaxy. And the Bible never talks about super intelligent beings elsewhere in the galaxy. And how can I even believe, if the Bible doesn't talk about something this big, that I can even trust the Bible, right? That's what can happen, I think. And I think it will happen. Probably already has happened to many people. So that's why this is important. Now, what's very interesting to me, that worldview crisis that I think can happen to a Christian is also happening to the uh, materialists, the, the atheists and the agnostic. I, I've already heard and seen some of them talk about this this way. Even scientists, they say, uh, this is impossible, right? Even given science... They say it's not even possible that these could be beings from the universe because the universe is too big. And given the vastness of the universe, it's, it's way bigger than we even really even think about. Even given travel, traveling at the speed of light, 
you can't get anywhere. It's so big. It takes too long. Like you'll be dead before you even arrive. Um, so that takes them into a different realm to explain things. And so they start to say, perhaps these are interdimensional beings. But you see the problem, right? What they've done is they've moved out of this realm of the atheist, agnostic, the materialist, and they've now crossed into the supernatural, that which cannot be explained naturally, that which science has no explanation. And so I think also, in addition to bolstering your faith, I think this passage in particular it can also serve to equip you to be able to share the gospel with people like that. Because they don't have anywhere to put this stuff. They can't, there's nowhere to put it. And so they have to now flirt with the supernatural. So this could be interdimensional beings, right? So today what we're going to see is we're going to see three theological truths that are going to hopefully bolster your faith in light of this UAP release bolster your faith, and to help you to evangelize. Three theological truths to help you to bolster your faith and to help you evangelize. And that's my purpose, to head off any doubt that might happen. Like there, there's already like multiple TV programs that are going to be coming out this week about this stuff. Um, and then for the skeptic, right, to be able to have a bridge to sharing the gospel with people. Because you know what? Before this, you, you could say to somebody, before this happened, you could be like, hey, uh, do you believe in interdimensional beings? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, given the magnitude and, of the universe and uh, mathematics and blah, 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 right? Interdimensional beings are like, they're, they're plausible or something like that. And be like, oh, really? Uh, do you believe it, that angels? How about angels? They'd be like, no way. Like, angels, that's fairy tale stuff. Angels are fairy tales. Yeah, that's what they, I mean, meaning it insultingly. But I bet not anymore. Not anymore. They're more likely now to listen. Uh, and the Bible has an answer for all of these things. I think it's a good testament to us of the sufficiency of the Scripture. We believe in the sufficiency of the Bible in all areas of life. Again, once again, I, mean, I, I did so much research, this week, it, was, it was ridiculous. The amount of thing the Bible, things the Bible says about the supernatural are pretty amazing. And this passage in particular helps us to get into that, to think about that. If you've been prone to thinking like a philosophical materialist, because we, if we're honest with ourselves, right, those of us that kind of fall into this section of the, the Christian world, right, we got the little house with Orthodox Christians in it. We got this side over here, the Charismatics, right? They don't have a problem with the supernatural. Like, the devil does everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's it, it, responsible for you spilling your, your drink when you go after church. You spilled your Dr. Pepper on the table. And then you got over here on our side, though, everybody's like, like we pretend like there is no devil. Don't we? There's no devil. Like, what, what is he? There's, we never talk about him. It's like he's not even real. We want, ba- we want to have balance. And I think the passage, this passage can help us to have uh, a good, appropriate balance. Okay? So let's look at these three theological truths. Number one is the biblical cosmology. The biblical cosmology. Now, what do I mean by that? What, what is cosmology? Well, that's what you believe about all of reality. Okay, so the materialist, uh, the, the skeptic, like, 
all the universe. That's all that there is. There's the universe and the laws of nature, and there's time and chance, and given enough of time and chance, um, given the laws of the universe, the universe like, can and will create itself from nothing. That's the type of thing they say. And this is all that there is, and that's it. There's, there's nothing else. But the biblical cons- cosmology ha- can handle this issue easily. It fits in easily. Our cosmology encompasses more than just simply the natural realm, and that's explicit in this passage, is it not? Look back at it. Finally, brothers, or finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The Bible cosmology can fit all of this. And the cosmology of the Bible is really this. If if you could say, what is it like in a word? I'd say conflict. It's conflict. There's a cosmic conflict happening. And that has been happening and runs the length of your Bible and encompasses all of our reality. There is this material universe, but there is another part of this universe to which we do not have access to. And all of it is in conflict. So that's why we're we're called to be strong. Put on the armor of God. Stand against the strategies of the devil. Militaristic language. And next time we'll get into looking more specifically at that. Standing and the armor of God. But that's the call. Militaristic language. There is a great cosmic conflict happening all around us. And to understand that conflict, you must understand the supernatural reality of all things. So, counter to materialism, the Bible teaches that the source and the ground and the foundation of all being is God. God, who has existed eternally, before time and space ever began or existed, God has existed Forever, as a triune God, one God in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equal, this community of relationship and, and, and love. That's why we can say our God is love because the Father has loved the Son forever and the Son has loved the Father forever before there was ever time. And the Spirit has loved the Father and the Son. Out of an overflow of God's nature, this is important, uh, an overflow of His Love, creation, right, happens. Because God doesn't create so that he can have somebody to love, right? As an overflow of his goodness, he creates, and he creates beings that can behold his greatness and experience his love. It's just an overflow of who he is. And so he creates and in particular, we're told that Jesus, our Lord, who called, called here the Lord, finally be strong in the Lord, that Lord is Jesus Christ. He created all things. We're told this in Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So we're told there in Colossians 1.16, the visible 
right? That's our, that's our realm, the visible realm. That's where we live. That's us, it's animals, it's everything. That's the observable universe, the five senses, you know, all of that. Everything in the universe. But the Bible cosmology contains another realm, which Paul calls in Colossians 1.16, the invisible. And it's inhabited by thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. And then here in Ephesians, Paul calls them cosmic powers, authorities, spiritual forces of evil. There is another realm. So there's our created realm, but there's another realm. And this this realm exists somewhere, right? It, It contains, this other invisible realm contains persons. We think about it wrongly. We think about it like it's just some place where there's like disembodied things and like maybe just souls that float around and like a, maybe like a, you know, like when water like moves as a ball or mercury, like maybe a spirit mercury ball flies around. And, but we shouldn't think about it this way. I don't know if that's like Gnosticism. It's left over. Or, there's another realm that contains persons, intelligences, like individuals. They're called dominions, thrones, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers. More on that in a little bit. Now, we would often just sum this up and use the word angels, right? Angels. Though that doesn't really capture it perfectly, but it's sufficient. Angels. Supernatural persons. Now, you might... If you want to use the jargon of the common world, you might just call them interdimensional beings because that's what they are. Now, there are certain classes of these beings. They're common messenger angels, but there's definitely rank and authority structures of some type. There are more powerful ones that have authority even over regions. There's the Prince of Persia that we read of in, in, in the Old Testament and when you start to look at it, you see there's these apparently some type of structure to these things. Now, they may, they may be as simple as a common messenger, but there's also cherubim, and these are apparently terrifying to see these things. They look very, they look very odd and weird. Multiple heads, the head of a bull, uh, the head of a lion, a, a man, like all in one, and wings with eyes all over the place. And if you saw it, you'd, you'd be terrified. And that's always usually what happens when people see angels. Even the common ones that look like men, right? Some of them just look like mankind. But they know that's not like a regular man. That's like a supernatural man. And they're scary. They always say, hey, you know, don't be afraid. And bring good news. And then there's seraphim. And seraphim, this strange class, it appears to be like maybe a flaming serpent with six wings that covers himself and they praise God, right? They're going around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. But seraphim literally like burning ones. Like think of like it's like a nuclear reactor. Their body's like a nuclear reactor. And they're just on burning and they're praising God. Uh, very strange things in this spiritual realm. And often just as men. Now, what is clear from the Bible is these beings can traverse realms. They're literally interdimensional. How do they traverse realms? I don't know. We don't know. Do they have the capability within just their person, right, to like create a tear in space time? Or do they have some type of 
angel technology because they're super intelligent beings and it requires, you know, of course we believe God can traverse everything and do it, but do they have to use some type of technology to come into our realm? I don't know. We don't know these answers. And I was thinking the other day, when they appear, they always have clothes on, and that seems interesting. Like, what if they showed up today? Would they have on, like, modern clothes? Just, now you get insight into my mind how it works, right? I imagine they showed up with Abraham, you know, and they've probably got a walking staff in their robes. And today they show up, and who knows what they're wearing, right? Timberlands. And uh, these beings are capable of tra- traversing realms. They have some type of body. Um, some type of spiritual body. Very, very strange to think of, right? They exist in their realm and they move. They talk. Uh, how do you talk, right? They're not just doing ESP, ESP like I don't think. Like when they appear in our realm, they talk. And they agitate the air and sound waves hit somebody's eardrum and they hear them talk or they make noise, right? They interact with people. Sometimes even they wage war and they kill masses of amounts of people. It's very strange. There's a place, though, that, that apparently bodies can exist. They have some type of spiritual body. And apparently a couple of humans went to this realm in their bodies. Remember, Elijah is taken up into a chariot of fire. Is that meant to be symbolic? Or is that their best way of describing something that's inexplainable on how to get a human body into the other realm? Again, no idea. Don't know. Enoch was taken away in his body to this realm. Um, it's, think of this realm as like another reality, right? There's our reality, but if you could like slide out of this reality, all around in this universe, there's another reality, which is the invisible. We can't see it. Well, there's a third place um, that is called within this spiritual realm, um, the heaven, the, the third heaven, right? This is where God's presence is. Paul says he was caught up here. In 2 Corinthians, he says that he was caught up to the third heaven, but I can't tell you about it, right? Well, why didn't you just not mention it? Because now I'm curious, right? But he's there, and we see it also in Revelation, the vision, the the throne room. Uh, Isaiah sees the throne of God. And this is the place where I think when we die, we go, Jesus refers to this as paradise. And this is the place where God's will is done perfectly, We are to pray that God's will would be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Because what we see when we look at these other realms is a great conflict, right? Our material realm, this spiritual realm, they're both part of creation. They didn't always exist, nor did the beings that inhabit the other realm. They didn't always exist. They're part of creation. And they're in conflict and rebellion against God both realms. That brings us to the fall, of course, right? And our cosmology, the fall. And Genesis 3 explains how this happened. That God had created the world and everything in it and everything that exists, and it's very good. And sometime, we don't know when, there was a rebellion in this other realm by these beings. And that rebellion spilled over into our realm, right? The serpent, he's called in Genesis 3. We don't know. At at that point, you don't know a lot about this being, except he's called the serpent. And side note, some speculate that he may be a seraphim, but the serpent 
deceives mankind and we join the rebellion. I'm summarizing, obviously, tons of things that happen. But we join in the rebellion against God. And because of our rebellion, sin spread to all men. And therefore, death entered the world and all men die. And from that rebellion in this realm, this is how we explain all of the death, sickness, pain, oppression, wars, tyranny. It all comes by our rebellion against our Creator. Now, it's interesting at that point, at this beginning of this rebellion, that God promises a conflict to the woman and the serpent. There will be enmity between your offspring and his offspring. And this conflict, through this conflict, God gives another promise. He promises to undo the work of the serpent. That the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. And so there's conflict and there's a promise of this person coming that's going to crush the serpent's head. So recap, biblical cosmology, which is able to handle all of this. God created everything that exists. The physical realm and the invisible spiritual realm. Both are inhabited by intelligences, beings, right? The spiritual realm has personal, intelligent, individual beings called angels, um, or you can call them interdimensional beings if you want. They can come here. We really can't go there without God's taking us there. Both realms contain created, be contain created beings. One of these beings simply called the serpent, brought about the rebellion in both realms. And now the realms are engaged in a great conflict or a war. And that's the language that is used here in this passage, the language of warfare. That's the first truth to help us to understand this, to process it, is the biblical cosmology. Now the second, the second truth is the reality of supernatural evil. The reality of supernatural evil. Okay, the identity of the serpent. Who is the serpent? Revelation 22 tells us he's identified. He's called the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. And we have the whole Bible. That's the beauty of it. The Bible interprets itself, and we need to use the whole Bible. He's identified. He's called the dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, and Satan. To us in the West, that almost sounds like a joke, right? Because we're so enlightened. We're, we're too enlightened for the devil, aren't we? We're too enlightened for the supernatural. I mean, a personal devil, right? We've kind of outgrown that. Haven't we in the West? The, the West has outgrown, right? We think we've outgrown God and we've outgrown the devil. So this is foolish talk. In our society, we think of evil. We think, you know what evil really is? Evil is just things that can be redu reduced down to psychologies. Um, psychology or, um, or disparities in economics, um, oppressions and sociological problems or educational issues and problems and power dynamics. And we've underst we understand where all of these evils come from, don't we? And so we downplay that there could be such a thing as an as a, as a actual real devil, a supernatural being that is evil. 
And we think, we'll bring about human flourishing. We can really do it. That's what we've tricked ourselves into, haven't we? We've tricked ourselves, or maybe we haven't tricked ourselves, as we'll see. We think we can solve all of our problems. With enough education, we can solve any problem, right? With the right economic uh, system, we can eliminate disparities and solve problems. With enough uh, psychological help, people can... uh, leave all of these destructive behaviors behind. And with the right sociology and education, we can overcome everything. We can fix our problems. And yet, there still remains permeating our society after all of these years past the Enlightenment, unexplainable evil. Andrew Del Banco, a a professor, intellectual in the University of Columbia, a skeptic and agnostic, wrote a book called The Death of Satan, trying to grapple with this, that we've, what we just talked about, we think we can deal with all of the problems in our world, and yet there remains evil that is difficult to explain. This is how the book begins. A gulf has opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources available for coping with it. Never before have images of horror been so widely disseminated and so appalling, from organized death camps to children starving in famines that might have been averted. Rarely does a week go by without seeing accounts of teenagers performing contract killings, women murdered in the streets, men shot in the head for the keys to their Jeep. And then he goes on to list other things that I won't even read to you in church that are so descriptive and clearly evil. And so what, what you see what Del Banco is trying to grapple with is we don't really believe in evil, do we? Or, or do we? Because we can't fix any of this, Right? We've applied the psychologies and the economic strategies and the educational strategies. And there is still profound evil. Because we know there is supernatural evil in the world. There is supernatural evil in the world. The world the Bible teaches us is under the influence of one of these beings. One of these interdimensional beings is so powerful so cunning, so intelligent, so shrewd that he holds the entire world under his sway. A real supernatural being, a hyper-intelligent, incredibly powerful, evil, interdimensional being. called Satan, or here the devil in our text. He is said in 2 Corinthians 4.4 to be the God of this world. Jesus calls him in John 12.31 the ruler of this world. 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. His influence and power extends throughout the entire world, across every continent, in every system of government, in every person that walks on this earth, 
that has not been yet rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. All right, that's not, that's not me, right, getting on a, a rabbit trail and speculating. The whole world is under his influence and under his domain, except for those who have been rescued by Christ. And we once were under this. That's, that's what maybe surprised you. You, don't, you. you didn't think of yourself that way before you were a Christian. I know I didn't. I became a Christian in 25. I definitely wouldn't have said, hey, I'm Jay. Uh, by the way, I'm under the sway of the devil. Good to meet you. But that's how Ephesians describes us. Right? Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, right? That's the next part. That's the good news. But God, you know, rich in grace and mercy, and he saved us, and that's the good news. But we don't think about ourselves that way, and we don't think about his power being that extensive, Right? Look, we can't blame every single evil thing, bad thing that happens on the devil. But, right, well, because we are capable in our fallen nature of doing terrible things all on our own. And we do, and people do. But it's undeniable that his influence and his power and his authority encompasses this world. And we are foolish to pretend otherwise. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled, you know how the rest goes, right? From that, uh, from that movie, Usual Suspects. The greatest trick the, ever, the devil ever pulled is convincing the world he doesn't exist. And I think in the West, that's for sure. In the West, where we're so enlightened, that is for sure the best strategy. Because if he's real, if evil is real, and there's an, a kind of an embodiment of evil in a supernatural being, if he's real, then this conflict is real that, that we're called to. The conflict is real, then the seed of the woman is real, who crushes the serpent's head. And if Jesus Christ is real, and he actually died for your sins on a cross, was, was buried and raised from the, from the dead three days later, conquering death and crushing the serpent, if all of that is true, you can be free from his power. So he doesn't, he doesn't want, in the West at least, anyone to believe that he's real. Psychology doesn't free from evil. Sociology cannot help us. Economics can help us. We cannot educate our way out from under his influence. History should teach us that. Open a history book. People must be set free from the domain of darkness through Jesus Christ and through his powerful gospel as he calls people to himself. Look at what Paul does here to the Ephesians. It should really hit you. It should hit you hard. In the book of Ephesians, as it begins, he tells them of their wonderful redemption in Christ. He begins... Like, way up high theologically. That God has chosen us before the foundation of the world 
for salvation in Christ. That it's all by grace. That God, through, by grace, He has lavished us with salvation and He has gifted us with the, all of the benefits of being united with Christ. And Paul tells the Ephesians, I want you to know the power of the resurrection in your life. The reality that you have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And because God has saved you, he calls the church. He says, because God has done this wonderful thing for you. Here's how you live. Here's how you live for God in this world, church. And he tells you all of that. And then coming right off of that, right here in this text. Here's what God's done for you. It's amazing. It's what the gospel is. Here's how now you live in the world. And this is what he tells you. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Because your reality is one of warfare. You are engaged in cosmic warfare. So put on the armor of God so that you can fight. That's what he, that's what he tells them. You're in warfare. You're in warfare right now. Put on the armor of God so that you'll be able to stand and stand firm. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not just people. People do bad things, but... And they do terrible evils. But behind all of it, there is a puppet master. It's so cunning and sly. And we don't just address this in the physical sense. This is a spiritual issue that is rampaging through the world. There is an evil blanketing all of mankind. And you're at war against this person. He's at war against you. And what you don't do, what he's telling you, is you put on the armor of God. Because you don't turn your back on him. You turn around and you face him. And, and we'll see more of that next week. You stand firm. Stand firm against the devil. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Right? Is that what we're told elsewhere? The term here used is wrestle. Wrestle. Right? Why? Why, why the term wrestle? Isn't he talking about militaristic stuff? No, because Paul wants to communicate the idea of hand-to-hand physical combat. Right? Hand-to-hand physical combat, right? That's different than looking through the scope of a gun and, and shooting someone or pulling uh, pull string go boom on artillery, right? And you launch it. And this is different. This is when all of the bullets run out and there's no equipment left and it's you and the enemy and it's skin on skin, rolling it around on the ground, fish hooks, eye gouges, jugular biting. This is a fight for your life. You're in the fight to the death. There's no truces. There's no, you can't call a timeout. This being seeks to destroy you. What did he care so much about you until Christ really rescued you and now you belong to Christ? And he hates Christ and he hates God and now he hates you and he seeks to destroy you. He's against you. Laying, waiting, watching, right? He's a, like a prowling lion. Lurking in the tall grass with those big eyes, just waiting. And Paul says, put on the armor of God. Stand firm. And you're to fight him. Fight him to the death. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not engaged in a purely human conflict. We're involved in spiritual warfare, something much more sinister. And then he lists these out if you look back at your texts. He lists them out. Rulers, authorities, flesh and blood, or not against flesh and blood, but rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. There's some type of diversity. 
there's interdimensional beings of malevolence with Satan as their head. Satan and these fallen angels, they don't only rebel in their realm. They rebel in our realm. They have ways of influencing this world. He calls them here schemes. The word schemes carries the idea of logical, systematic, and strategic deceptions. And that's what we'll go to now. So the first theological truth, and time just flew by, didn't it? So we've got to speed it up a little bit. All right, so you have to hang in there now because we'll have to speed up. First theological truth is the cosmology of the Bible helps us to process these things. The second is the reality of supernatural evil. Supernatural evil is real. The third is these strategies, the strategies of the evil. Now, part of the training that goes into when you come into the Army, you get this training. You go to officer school here is to uh, learn um, not just our strategies. You want to learn the enemy's strategies. You want to know their weapons, their equipment, their vehicles, and how they employ those. So, you know, some, some of the memories that I have from when I'm, when I'm young, it seems like a lifetime ago, um, just in my, in my 20s, and Angie's on the couch there, and she's holding his little flashcards, and Drake's running around in his diaper all over the house, and Angie's like, holds this card up, and I'm staring at it, you know, and I'm like, uh, BMP, that's a BMP, yeah, that's, that's what it is, um, uh, weapons capabilities, uh, 30 millimeter, uh, carries eight people. So I have to memorize all these, all these vehicles because uh, you have to know what does the enemy have, what are his strategies, how is he likely to employ what he has and his tactics and techniques. And what is interesting is he uses this, this term here that makes mention of these things, which one co- commenter says contain trickery and subterfuge. And we aren't familiar with his tactics, right? We don't ever talk, we don't really ever talk about them. But we ought to be familiar with his schemes, his tactics and techniques. So let's do that, okay? I'm going to have to go fast. Now, I categorize these in a way that would just help me to get my head around them. Most common, common, and rare, Okay? Most common, common, and rare. So let's go quick. The most common way that Satan employs his schemes and strategies is to present a counter-truth to God's revealed word and to make it seem plausible and desirable. And we see this in the fall in Genesis chapter 3, right? He said to the woman, did God actually say? Did God actually say? Um, well, that's not really quite right, uh, Here's the counter-truth. When you eat that, you'll become like God. Then they were deceived and they ate. This is so common, right? This is so common even today. Did God actually say you're justified by faith alone, apart from works? Right? Well, not really, because um, anyone who says you're justified by faith apart from works is anathema. Right, that's the teaching of the Catholic Church. Did God actually say sex before marriage is a sin? Did he really? Well, you know, all that really matters to God is that you love each other. God wants you to be happy, and you make each other happy. And, you know, that's all that really matters to God. God wants you to be happy, and he understands. Did God actually say divorce is a sin? But you're so young, you know, you, you uh, married too young. And you still have time. You can still be happy with someone else. 
God wants you to be happy. He understands. Did God actually say that homosexuality is an abomination? Did he really? Or is that cultural influences in the Bible? Uh, No, no, no. That's not really about that. That's about power dynamics and abuse. That's what what the Bible addresses. Sodom and Gomorrah is actually about hospitality, right? All that really matters is two consenting adults. That's all that matters to God, and God's happy to bless that. The list is endless. I I could go on for days with this stuff. Uh, For days, present a counter-truth to God's word and make it seem plausible and desirable. I'll have to skip down a few. Here's another most common. Appeals to your base human nature. Most common. This is what you're, you're going to encounter this. You'll encounter, you've already encountered the first one. Here's another most common appeals to your base human nature. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but is from the world. The lust of the flesh is to be, desi- is to be dominated by a desire uh, for pleasure. Hedonism, that's the term, hedonism, right? It can be sexual. It doesn't always just have to be sexual, though. It can just be to be satisfied by the things of the world, materialistic. Um, um, you're going from this thing or this thing to that thing, and you, you know, it's a new thing every other day, and it, and it brings you happiness, and that's the lust of the eyes, or the lust of the flesh, rather. That's the lust of the flesh. The desire of the eyes is envy and covetousness, Right? To not be content with what God has given you. To not be content in God himself. To look at others and be, and be like, I want that. I, I, I need that. You know, like, why should I have to, have to just have what I have? And when you start coveting, uh, you start resenting, right? It, these things chain together so, so easily. And he lays so many subtle traps because he's been at it for so long. And it leads to envy. And envy to anger, and anger to hatred. Hatred can lead to all kinds of things, right? Murder. The pride of life. The pride of life can be so dangerous. One, it's to be self-sufficient in yourself, to think you have everything you need in yourself. You don't need anyone or anything in this world, even God. Or, it's to think higher than oneself than you ought to think. And this can, he can attack you on religious pride grounds, right? You think highly of yourself. You say, oh, I'm not like that sinner. And you forget that apart from Christ, you're nothing. Right? There's so many subtle ways. Those Those are the most common, okay? Most common. Now the common about to get weird. All right, the propagation of idolatry and occultism. These are common. This is not in the uncommon. This is common. These are common historically, and they deal with widespread deceptions over entire cultures and peoples. Idolatry is false worship of uh, images, statues, and false gods. Occultism is the practice of trying to tap into the spiritual realm to draw power in order to influence the present and your future. And the occultism goes hand in hand, it goes hand in hand with idolatry, and we may use a blanket term called paganism. What is the heart, the heart of idolatry, paganism, and the occult? It is simply to control one's reality 
and to know and control your future, right? So it goes like this. If I do these set of things, right, if I follow this formula and do these set of things, uh, Baal will bless me. Baal will bless us. We'll prosper as a culture. Or if I say this incantation exactly right, right, I'm a military leader. If I say this incantation exactly right, I give this sacrifice, Ares will curse my enemies and fight with me and I'll win a battle. Or if I follow the eightfold path, I'll have peace. Or if I follow the pillars of Islam, God will accept me. Um, Whereas in comparison to all of these things, the God of the Bible desires that we learn, that we can't control the future, we can't control our reality, that we are to learn to trust and depend upon him for all things. Right? He declares the end from the beginning. Uh, we, don't, we don't need to try to worry about these things and wonder what our future holds because we can trust him. In the Bible, we encounter paganism and idolatry everywhere, right? all over the place, all around Israel, all the surrounding nations around Israel. Right? They're all involved in paganism and idolatry and the occult. Now listen to how God condemns uh, in his word this. First off, there's the Ten Commandments. I, I, I have to speed up through these, where the worship of, of these false gods is prohibited strictly. Then he tells Egypt in Exodus 22, when you go into the land that you're going, um, you are not to worship the gods of those people. You are to destroy them, to cast down their idols and destroy them. Because this is more than just a taking the promised land. This is spiritual warfare. You are not to worship their gods. You are to topple their gods. Here's a question. What are the gods of the nations around Israel? What are they? Right? What is Baal? the Asherah? Who's Apollo and Jupiter? What are these things? What are they? Are they nothing? Right? That's how we've been conditioned, isn't it? We're conditioned to just think, oh, it's superstition. Just the invent- it's just the invention of some, some guy. He came up with a clever way to control people, to get money probably, like to make money, to get himself rich. The Bible says clearly that these gods are demons, Deuteronomy 32, 15 through 17, Moses speaks uh, in the prophetic sense about what will happen to Israel once they've prospered and grown fat. He says, they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had only come recently, whom your fathers never dreaded. And Paul picks up on the same thing. This is all through the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians, he's talking about idols, right? The object in these massive temples, there's a Incredibly artistic, no doubt, image. Is the image anything? Of course not. It's nothing. You can't do anything. But what is it really? What is behind this system? And Paul says, What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. So we, de- we, de- we, de- we demythologize everything. We've been so conditioned to do it, haven't we? Satan wants worship. That should be clear. How does he tempt Jesus? What does he say to him? I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. He shows them all to, to Jesus when he tempts him. I'll give, you all, I'll give you the world. Just bow down and worship me. 
They desire worship. False gods of the world are demons. And often associated with this is the occult tapping into the spiritual realm. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12, you may want to turn there. It's an interesting passage. Um, if you go there, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll want to mark your place there. Listen to what the text says in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12 as it describes these practices. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Now, of course, the world will say the, these aren't real, right? Sorcerers aren't real. Mediums aren't real. But this is not how God presents them to us. They're very real. It starts with human sacrifice. Human sacrifice is always tied to the occult, and to the worship of false gods. It always is. It always ends up there, right? God, Satan hates God. We're in the image of God. It makes total sense. Sacrifice humans, right? So Baalism, in Baalism, you sacrifice to their, their God, your sons and daughters, so that you could prosper, so that your life would prosper, so that your community would flourish, is fueled by demons. We're too advanced today, right, for Baalism. We'll never fall for Baalism today, would we? Never. So today we practice feminism. And in feminism, you sacrifice the image of God so that you can prosper and your community can flourish. It's fueled by demons. The cosmic powers and the spiritual forces of evil to hate God and to hate his image. Now the word divination is used. Divination is the pagan practice of seeking supernatural knowledge to understand why something happened to you or what is going to happen in the future. It's tapping into the supernatural order so that you could control your reality and bring about the future that you desire. Now you may think of, uh, of uh, when you think of this, you may think of King Leonidas, right? There's, remember that historically, he goes to the oracle of Apollo at Delphi and he's like, should I go fight the Persians? Right? This is a common practice. They consult people that practice divination. And divination is practiced in several different ways. One is astrology. They would look at the stars and they would say, okay, because uh, they thought the stars were gods. You have to remember this. Uh, uh, Jupiter, right? Uh, Neptune. Um, and they would try to predict what things would happen. That's astrology. That still happens today. It's called horoscopes. We still have it today. It's just called horoscopes. Then there's a technique called hypotoscopy. It's where an animal is sacrificed, their entrails are taken out, and the liver is studied. Now, this, this type of stuff, it's like transcultural around the world. You can look it up for yourself. You can go like all the way to Norway and see the Vikings doing this, right? Uh, it's a strange practice, but they look in the liver, try to tell the future. Then there's rhabdomancy. Rhabdomancy is throwing sticks or arrows in the air, and when they fall on the ground, you interpret their pattern. 
Both of these things happen in the Bible. The king of Babylon engages in both these practices in Ezekiel 21. You can go read that for yourself. He practices divination through these various techniques. And the purpose is, if you look at the text, is to tell fortunes, or, and, and they interpret omens to tell the future. But also look at the text. The, there's the terms for sorcerer, charmer, medium, and necromancer. Sorcerer is another name for magician or witch. Now, this is a person who's able to tap into the spiritual realm, contact direct with an entity in order to gain supernatural power. Uh, the Egyptians of Pharaoh, right? They aren't just doing tricks. Right? They're, not, they're not like a modern street magician. They're practicing the dark arts. And so they're able to mimic you know, Moses at the very beginning. But because this is a war of gods, God escalates in the plagues, and all of his plagues are judgments on the false gods of Egypt because they're, they're powerless to deliver from Yahweh. There's a charmer. Charmer is someone who would uh, attach power to an object. You can go to some spiritist shop and buy some crystals or a magic necklace today. People still try to practice this. There's mediums. Mediums are those who will channel a god, like it, or a god, right? False god we know as a demon. We see this in Acts 16. Paul casts a demon out of a slave girl who is telling the future and making her owners rich. You remember that story? She's a medium. And there's necromancers, those who contact the dead. That's also seen in the Bible as well. All of this is still practiced today. It didn't go anywhere. It's all practiced today all over the place. We just changed the names. We call them sensitives. They're sensitives or they're psychics. Now, this is going to trip you out. Okay? There's a tie between all of this and UFOs today. You know who Danica Patrick is? You guys know who Danica Patrick is? The NASCAR driver? The, like the first female NASCAR driver. You guys know who she is. How about Demi Lovato, the singer? Uh, these people are called influencers. They influence millions of people uh, through their phone, their smartphone. They have access to millions of people. Danica Patrick said this. I listened to it this week. I shared it with George, sent it to him. She says she is mentored and guided by interdimensional beings. She gains access to them via meditation. Demi Lovato, same thing. Through the practice of med meditation, she has had direct contact with interdimensional beings, and it was a spiritual awakening for her. Uh, not long after, she came out as non-binary. Now, how did they learn this technique? Well, they learned it through a man named Dr. Stephen Greer, who's maybe the most famous UFO guy in America. He's been researching and studying this phenomena for years. He used to be a medical doctor. And he left that because he said, my mission in life is to become an ambassador to these beings, which he calls an advanced civilization far beyond our own. And he says, I've met with these beings, and their goal is to take humanity to the next phase of our evolution where there will be no more hunger, there will be no poverty, no crime, no oppression, no more sickness. Uh, what, what is being offered they're offering the kingdom apart from Christ. So what he's done is he's tapped into trying to influence those that influence others. And there's an app that is very popular. It's downloadable through Google and Apple Podcasts. And he teaches people how to practice uh, meditation. It's Eastern mysticism. 
uh, tied into the universal consciousness, you open yourself up to have direct contact with what he says are UFOs, but that which we know are actually demons. And he's teaching hundreds of thousands, millions of people to become mediums. This is the practice of divination mediums. Well, then there's the very rare. I'll just mention them quickly. We don't have time to go through them. There's demonic possession, which does I don't think really happens in the West anymore because if that's real, the other is real. But this still happens in third world countries. And Jesus casts out demons and he tells you, if I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you, right? And he uses the illustration of plundering a strong man's house. How do you plunder a strong man's goods unless you bind the strong man? And what is he saying? If I've come upon you and cast out demons, then I have begun to plunder the kingdom of darkness. Then there's the preaching of false gospels by angels, right? These are what I categorize as extremely rare because they're explicit instances of supernatural evil. Paul warns about it. Don't believe another gospel, even if another angel from heaven preaches it. It's happened twice in history. It happened in the 7th century A.D. In a cave, a man named Muhammad was meditating when an angel named Jibril seized him. It literally seized him. He felt like he was going to be crushed to death. Later, he told his family he felt like he was demon-possessed, and they convinced him that he was not, that it was revelation from God. It's the beginning of Islam. The Mormon religion began in New York State in 1823 when an angel appeared to Joseph Smith. Angel Moroni appeared, I think, 22 times and preached to him another false gospel. And these, of course, have led astray and deceived millions of people around the world, kept them from seeing the true gospel. And we're engaged in this war. That's what he's, Paul is telling us. This stuff is real. The supernatural is real. And you're engaged in this war for your own soul and for the souls of everyone. So there's your three, three theological truths. The cosmology of the Bible, the reality of supernatural evil, and then, this, then the last one are the schemes, the strategies that we are to be aware. So what are UAPs? I have no idea what they are. I don't know what they are. No one knows what they are. Um, but I know that I can fiddle them into my worldview. Um, I can speculate what they are. I think they've been here all along. They're prob- probably seeing angels or uh, angels coming in and out of switching through realities, dimensions, or maybe various technologies they might have. But here's what I think will, uh, the goal is, right? I think we're foolish if we don't look at this and say, what is the scheme of the enemy? One, it's the destruction of people's faith. I think it's clear. To destroy people's faith who see these, to make them doubt the Bible. Second, a counter-materialist narrative, right? Uh, to present another gospel, like uh, Danica Patrick and Demi Lovato and the medical doctor are doing. And there's a fake existential threat, I think, possibly, number three. A way that humanity will unite, right? There'll be a threat. Like, we've got to unite against the threat, and our willingness to unite will set the stage for what we see in the end of Revelation, a one world united, a one world government engaged in worshiping the dragon. Revelation 13.4, they worshiped the dragon. How do we get there? How does the whole world get there? There's some worldwide deception. You say, how does this help us to evangelize the world? Well, here's quickly the answer. 
First John 3, 8 says that despite these realities, and they're real and dangerous, the reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. We can't forget this part. I mean, we, we love the gospel uh, of propitiation or substitution, that Christ died for our sins. And if we would have faith in Christ, we'll be forgiven of our sins apart from works, and he'll accept us and take us and make us his own. We'll have eternal life with God. He rose from the dead, conquering death. But you can't forget this other part, which is Christ the victor. That when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he put these powers, these authorities, these powers, what it says in Colossians 2.13, these powers and authorities, he put them to open shame, triumphing over them in the cross. That he has dealt the mortal wound to Satan. They've been publicly shamed. It's, on the, it's for the world to see that they have been stripped of their power, that Christ has conquered over them. And that's great news for us, right? Because we're engaged in this warfare. Like, who's going to stand against the most powerful being in the universe other than God? Like, how can you do that? Well, you clothe yourself with Christ. Put on the armor of God. Stand in His strength. And we'll get into that next time. And what's interesting, and I'll end with this, the importance of the church in this. Romans 16.20. This is the last thing I'll say. Listen to what Paul says as he applies uh, the work of Christ. He's conquered Satan, crushed his head. Now he applies it at the continuing work to the church. He says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And I thank you for the people's patience. God, this went... Uh, way longer, way longer than I had planned out. But hopefully, Lord, it is what that people need to hear, um, that it would build up your church and build your people up and equip, equip them to stand against the schemes and the strategies and the techniques of the evil forces that are at work in the world. I pray that they would have confidence in the victory and the supremacy of Christ over all things that he has crushed and dealt the mortal wound to Satan and his schemes and his strategies are just his death throes. And Lord, may we believe in the power of the church that you have equipped us to trample upon him as well. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.